You're listening to the KCAC Beat. Now, introducing your hosts, Hans Nickel and Mark Hoffheinz. Good morning and welcome to the KCACB football scoreboard edition. My name is Hans Nickel, Assistant Assistant Commissioner for Operations here at the KCAC. With me is Mark Hoffheinz, our Assistant Commissioner for Communications and Sports Information. It is Monday morning, October 10th. Uh, It's a great morning here in the KCAC. We're going to get ready to uh, go over the, the big football action that happened this week, a lot of good games in the KCAC. Looking forward to breaking those down. But before we do that, Mark, why don't you give us some news and notes from around the conference? Looking at some news and notes around the conference, a couple of scheduling things off the top. Um, our basketball media days, both men's and women's, are this week. So make sure you put those on your calendar. Our women's basketball virtual media day is on uh, Tuesday, October 11th. And that's at 10.30 a.m. The men's is on Thursday, October 13th, also at 10.30 a.m. Um, and both of these will be hosted by Pat Strathman with ESPN Wichita. And both of these will be available to watch on our, our Facebook page so you can catch it live and uh, submit questions if you have any of those for coaches. Or if you uh, if you miss it, they'll be archived on the video section on our Facebook page. You can go back and watch and, and catch all that. So we hope you tune in and I'm excited for basketball season to get going here before too long. And then moving on to some results and, and, and things coming up early on in the week. Uh, cross country, we had a pretty busy weekend. McPherson College hosted the Great Plains Intercollegiate Challenge on Saturday. Uh, we had, let's see, six men's teams competing, I think. Actually, four. Sorry, miscounted there. Maybe two, two of them were scheduled to compete and then didn't end up going, but uh, we've had four men's teams out of the KCAC and uh, five women's teams compete at that event. Looking at team finishes for the men's side, Southwestern finished first. Uh, they also have the top KCAC male finisher, uh, Messeret Elgin, for the Mound Builders finished first individually. Uh, McPherson fin- finished second. Bethel finished third. And Bethany finished fourth on the men's side. And then looking at the uh, women's side of that event, McPherson took first overall, Southwestern finished second. I believe those are the only two teams with team scores at the event. Uh, Bethany, Bethel, and Sterling all had individuals there, but no team score. And then the top KCAC female finisher at that event was once again from Southwestern, DeGionio Wilson uh, finishing first there. Then Kansas Wesleyan traveled up to Sioux, uh, Sioux Center, Iowa, to take up, or to go to the Dort Holiday Inn Express Classic cross country event. Uh, both their men's and women's teams traveled up there. The men taking sixth out of fourteen teams, and the top finisher for the Coyotes there was Austin Hess, who finished twenty second. And then for the Coyote women, they finished ninth out of fourteen teams, with their top finisher being Madison Ehrlich, who finished thirty first. And then St. Mary took both their men's and women's teams down to the Allen County invite hosted by Allen County Community College uh, down in Iola, Kansas. Uh, Both the men and women for the Spires finishing first on their sides, the men finishing first out of five teams. Uh, And the top finisher for the Spires was Brendan Irwin, who finished first overall. And uh, the Spire men had the top four finishers on that side. And then for the women, They also finished first um, out of four teams on the women's side. And Riley Hebert was the top finisher for the Spires. She finished first overall. And they had the top seven individual finishers on that side. So uh, a St. Mary kind of sweep there down at uh, Allen County. And the final cross-country event we had teams competing in uh, was the Billy Mills Invite in Lawrence, Kansas, hosted by Haskell on Saturday. Uh, The York men and women were both there. The York men did not have a team score recorded, but their top finisher was Anthony Hodson, who finished 25th. And then the York women finished third out of seven teams with Maria Giesemann being the top finisher for the Panther women, and she took fourth. Uh, moving on to tennis, we only had a, a one team in action uh, the second half of last week. That was Bethel. Both their men's and women's teams took on John Brown University down in Salome Springs, Arkansas. And uh, came home with two wins, the men winning 7 nothing, and the women winning 6-1 uh, on Thursday. 
And then John Brown takes on another KCAC opponent coming up. The Oakwood men's tennis team travels down there on Tuesday uh, to take on the Eagles down there. And that will be at 3 p.m. And then looking at golf, we didn't have anything late last week. I think teams were recovering from our match play event. But we have a, a really busy first half of the week in golf, uh, both the men's and women's sides this first half of the week. Uh, Tabor College is, host, is hosting the Tabor College Invitational on Monday and Tuesday. Um, and the teams that will be competing there are the Bethel men's squad, the Ottawa men's and women's squads, uh, the Sterling men's JV team, and then the Tabor men's and women's squad. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know later why we kind of split up the Sterling men's and or the Sterling varsity and JV. They have two tournaments going on uh, at the beginning of this week. So um, we'll look at where the varsity team is a little bit later. Uh, but the next event we have a team competing in is the Virginia McCoy Invitational up in Kansas City. That is also on Monday and Tuesday. Um, and the Friends Falcons men men's golf team will be competing there. Um, future KCAC member Evangel is hosting a golf event on Monday and Tuesday as well. And the Friends Kansas Wesleyan and Sterling women's teams are all going that, to that event. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they perform there and what the course is like down there in Springfield as uh, teams will be going down there in the future and, and kind of get a taste for uh, the, the, the course down there. Um, Kansas Wesleyan men and the Sterling varsity men are both traveling down to Memphis uh, to take place in the Memphis shootout again on Monday and Tuesday. And then the final golf event involving KCAC teams is the Grandview Invitational up in Iowa. Uh, again on Monday and Tuesday and the York men and women are both uh, competing up there for golf, but that will about do it for our news and notes section of this podcast. Thank you, Mark. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our football weekend scoreboard. This is the KCAC scoreboard. Looking at our first matchup in KCAC football, Swedes of Bethany College traveling to Sterling to take on the Sterling College Warriors. This one ending in a 40-34 to victory for the Warriors in double overtime. I'll take you through how we got to that point. Uh, looking at the first quarter, Bethany and Sterling both scored there. Bethany kicking off the scoring in the game. Brock Burnett catching a 27-yard touchdown pass from Nick Trulove. That puts Bethany up six to nothing, but then Sterling responds with about two minutes left in the first quarter. Uh, Ryan Stuckey taking a five-yard run to the house. Uh, that puts Sterling up seven to six uh, near the end of the first quarter. Moving on to the second quarter, again, both teams score. Uh, first is Sterling getting a field goal with 316 left in the second quarter. Uh, Luis Franco kicking a 31-yard field goal. That puts the Warriors up 10 to 6. And then Bethany, shortly before halftime, 46 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, Christian Woodard catches a 17-yard touchdown pass from Nick Trulove. Trulove's second uh, passing touchdown of the day. And that put the Swedes up 13 to 10 going into halftime. Uh, looking at the third quarter, Sterling takes off the scoring there. Drew Ellis catches a 35-yard touchdown pass from Daniel Jackson uh, with a Luis Franco extra point. That makes it 17-13 to Sterling early in the third quarter. Uh, the Swedes respond with 7.32 left in the third quarter. Brock Burnett catching his second receiving touchdown of the day, a 40-yard touchdown reception from Nick Trulove, and that will put the Swedes up. 20 to 17 midway through the third quarter um, and then Sterling responds about three minutes later 417 left in the third quarter Daniel Jackson throws it to David Timmons for a 20-yard touchdown pass uh, and that will put the Warriors up 24 to 20 heading into the fourth quarter uh, as we move on to the fourth quarter Luis Franco of Sterling kicks a 47-yard field goal that puts the Warriors up 27 to 20 and then Bethany responds with 642 left in the fourth quarter. Nick Trulove has a, a one-yard run, so kind of seeing another dual-threat quarterback here scoring with his arm and his legs. Um, that ties it up 27-27, to 27, and this game would go into overtime. Uh, looking at the, the first overtime period, Bethany scores first. Christian Woodard catching a 25-yard touchdown reception from Nick Trulove. 
putting the Swedes up 34 to 27. But the Warriors get a chance to respond. David Timmons uh, catches a seven-yard touchdown pass from Daniel Jackson, ties it up 34 to 34 in the first overtime period. So we will move on to double overtime where Sterling scores on a Ryan Stuckey 10-yard run uh, with a failed two-point conversion that puts Sterling up 40 to 34. And the Swedes unable to respond. So uh, Sterling takes the victory here in double overtime, 40 to 34. Looking at uh, some team statistics before we jump into individual statistics, uh, a lot of the team statistics are, are fairly even this matchup. I mean, Sterling had 25 first downs compared to 20 for Bethany. Uh, total offense, teams were only separated by 50 yards, so you didn't see a huge advantage there. Sterling with 368. Uh, total offensive yards compared to 318 for Bethel. Uh, net passing yards were only separated by 10 yards. If you compare the two teams, 297 net passing yards for Sterling and 287 for Bethany. I'd say the biggest difference was in uh, rushing yards as a team. The Warriors with 71 total rushing yards as a team compared to only 31 for the Swedes. So that's where you see the, the biggest advantage if you compare the two teams. Uh, looking at, at penalties, I mean, uh, looks like Swedes had two more penalties called on them, but the penalty yardage was fairly even. Uh, Bethany had 10 penalties called on them for 74 yards. Sterling, eight penalties called on them but for 78 yards, so fairly even there. And then both teams able to get some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Bethany, five sacks as a, as a team for a loss of 27 yards. And then Sterling gets three sacks for a loss of 13 yards there. Uh, what are what are some things you see on the individual statistics, at least on the offensive side? Yeah, very much a, a pass-happy game, a lot of yardage through the air for both um, both teams, both quarterbacks with good days. Uh, for Bethany, it was Nick Trulove, 25 of 52, 287, uh, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Sterling's Daniel Jackson was 29 of 47 for 297 with three touchdowns and an interception. So both those quarterbacks uh, making a big impact. Uh, the difference on the ground with with rushing, uh, not a lot of big yardage from any individual rusher for Bethany. Their top rusher, uh, Rodley Toussaint, six attempts, 25 yards. Uh, 4.2 average for Sterling. It was Ryan Stuckey. He had 19 attempts for 60 yards, a 3.2 average. Also got two uh, touchdowns rushing on the day, uh, which was, again, that that ground game, the one of the, the big differences between the two teams. Receiving a lot of good receiving statistics for both teams. Top receivers for Bethany was Brock Burnett. Six receptions, 144 yards, including two touchdowns. Christian Woodard also had two receptions for 42 yards. Both of those receptions being touchdowns. And it looks like uh, True Love was able to, I'm going to got to count the number of receivers here, but completed a pass to... 11 different receivers in the game. So really spreading that ball around. Uh, Burnett had the most again with six. Uh, Aaron Tillich had five receptions. Jacob Madu had four. But other than that, it, it's a lot of two and one receptions just spread out to a lot of different receivers. For Sterling, their top receiver was David Timmons, had nine receptions, 107 yards, including two touchdowns. Uh, T.C. Smith also had seven receptions, got 65 yards off of that. Marie Goodwin, Goodwin Legree, five receptions. Ryan Stuckey, five receptions to go along with those 60 uh, rushing yards as well. That's uh, kind of the top offensive performers there again kicking played a big role we've seen special teams play a big role a lot this season it does again in this game uh, Zeke Mumford for uh, Bethany four of five on extra points the one that was missed was blocked uh, in that game ends up with four points but Luis Franco uh, gets two field goals goes two of three one of those field goals being that 47 uh, yard field goal that happened uh, fairly late in the game in the fourth quarter uh, that was a big play for Sterling uh, was also then um, perfect on his uh, extra points at 4 of 4 scored 10 points 
in the game. Um, in terms of interceptions, you had some interceptions uh, in the game. Uh, Devin Rogers and James Craig each got one for Sterling. There's Anthony Johnson, though, that had the, the biggest interception for Bethany, had one interception that he ran back 40 yards, didn't get to the end zone, but put uh, Bethany in really good field position on that play. Any specific defensive statistics stand out to you, Mark? Uh, well, looking at Bethany, looks like Connor Payomo was all over the field, leading the Swedes in total tackles with seven. Uh, that included two tackles for loss and a sack uh, for a loss of six yards. He also forced a fumble and a pass breakup. Cameron Brown, not far behind him in total tackles with six. Uh, also had a tackle for loss and a pass breakup. Uh, looking at uh, turnovers, as I said, Connor Payomo forced that one fumble. And then Anthony Johnson for the Swedes had a uh, interception that he returned for 40 yards. So uh, forcing the, the Sterling offense with a couple of turnovers there. Uh, looking at Sterling on the defensive side, Clinton Reese Jr. leads the team in total tackles with nine. Uh, that includes a, a tackle for a loss and uh, half a sack. Looking at James Crane, he had four tackles and an interception uh, and also two pass breakups. And uh, Devin Rogers joined in on getting interception as well for the Warriors, uh, along with getting three tackles. And so uh, Sterling also being able to force the, the Bethany offense into a couple mistakes there uh, that, would, that would prove costly and would get the ball back to the Warriors. So uh, good game there in Sterling. But we'll move on to our next game, which is uh, St. Mary at Ottawa. Yeah, so the Spires travel into Ottawa, Kansas to take on the Braves. Uh, this one ends 33-23, fairly close game. And we're going to go ahead and break down how we got to that point uh, as St. Mary comes away with the victory. The, the Spires do open scoring in this game. They get the first two scores of the game, the first one in the first quarter. 12:26 to play. Eric Covington, a two-yard run. Uh, they go for two, unable to get it. It's 6-0 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, early in the second quarter, just three seconds in, uh, Covington again gets into the end zone for St. Mary with a one-yard run. This time uh, they try and, and kick an, a PAT and miss that, so it's 12-0 in the second. Ottawa responds uh, on a three-play drive. Uh, to bring it to 12-7. So Billy Maples hits James Reeder on a 69-yard big play touchdown pass. Uh, Extra point is good, and Ottawa cuts that lead to 12-7. Then Ottawa is able to cut it again in the second quarter. Next next score with 8.41 left to play. Lewis McMullen hits a 20-yard field goal and cuts that lead to two, uh, making it 12-10 St. Mary. Uh, but the Spires respond before halftime with four minutes and eight seconds left. Eric Covington again on the ground, a 47-yard run, this time big play. Extra point is good. And going into the half, it is a 19-10 to St. Mary lead. Defense, a big uh, factor in the third quarter. Nobody scores offensively in the third quarter, but St. Mary does get on the board with a Hennessy Thomas 45-yard fumble recovery scoop and score uh, to give St. Mary a 26-10 lead on the defensive touchdown. Ottawa cuts the lead in the fourth quarter, 13-46 to play. James Reeder, a two-yard run, two-point conversions, no good. It's 26-16, 10-point lead for St. Mary at that point. St. Mary responds with 11-19 to play in the fourth with a uh, with a, uh, a a touchdown from Tyrese Sneed. Looks like some form of, of pass. Um, it's, it's the scoring summary doesn't break down who that actually went to, uh, but it's 33-16 to at that point. St. Mary, Ottawa with a minute 20, uh, does respond, gets a, a Corey Jones touchdown reception from Maples. Uh, to cut the lead to 33-23, but no more scoring from that point as St. Mary's able to to run out the clock and get the 33-23 victory. Looking at team statistics, offensively, Ottawa had a, a good day, really outperformed St. Mary offensively, had more first downs, 
25 for Ottawa, 17 for St. Mary. Uh, third down efficiency, St. Mary was a little bit better. St. Mary was 9 of 18, where Ottawa was only 6 of 17. But if you look at total offense, Ottawa had 463 yards to St. Mary's 302. Uh, in the air, there's a big difference, 375 for Ottawa, 101 for St. Mary. Now, St. Mary had the better ground game, which allowed them to control some possession time. And then that bend but not breaking defense and the defensive scoop and score being one of the big differences. But on the ground, St. Mary 201 yards compared to Ottawa's 88. A lot of turnovers in this game. Uh, St. Mary lost two fumbles. But Ottawa lost four fumbles that stopped drives. Each team had an interception as well. Uh, so you look at five inter- or five turnovers by Ottawa in the game compared to just uh, the three turnovers from St. Mary playing a, a big difference. Uh, time of possession slightly in favor of St. Mary in this game. What individual statistics stood out to you, Mark? Uh, just looking at the two teams, as you said, Ottawa had a, a pretty good day offensively. You could ha- have an argument between their quarterback, Billy Maples, and then James Reeder for kind of the performer of the game. For Ottawa, Maples, 28 of 48 for 375 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Reeder leading the re- leading the team in both rushing and receiving. Uh, Reeder with 10 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He also had seven receptions for 120 yards. Um, that 69-yard, I believe, was a screen pass uh, touchdown to him. Definitely helps, but still seven receptions for 120 yards is a, is a good day. Uh, Corey Jones joins him on the day in having over 100 yards receiving. He had four catches for 115 yards, uh, a long touchdown or a long catch of 80 yards, and a touchdown as well. Uh, looking at the uh, Spires, Eric Covington, quarterback, 10 of 18 for 101 yards uh, and one interception. As you mentioned, their their real strength on the day was rushing. So you see uh, three Spires with over with 15 or more carries. Uh, Jartavius Martin leading the team in total carries with 18. He also leads the team in yards with 90. Uh, Caleb Big Pond actually leads the team in carries, sorry, with 19, uh, but only had 80 yards. And Eric Covington, the quarterback, 15 carries for uh, 22 yards and three touchdowns. Actually had a long rush of 47 yards, but uh, probably had a couple rushes for loss there, so that moves his total down to 22. Uh, Leading receiver for the Spires was Josh Walker, uh, four catches for 56 yards there. And uh, looking at defensive statistics, anything stand out to you? I mean, I think, uh, as you mentioned, couple defensive scoring plays i know that hennessy thomas one is one that's credited and then i think that that uh negative 13 yard pass you mentioned i think that was a a fumble recovery that was just uh credited wrong i was looking for that in in the highlights of the game and uh, i think that's what matched up with that so defense played an important part but what individual statistics do you you uh, see that stand out to you yeah when we previewed this game at the heading into the weekend we talked about the the two linebackers for each school uh, so for um, st mary it was hennessy thomas and for ottawa's aj hemphill both of those players having big days um, so hennessy thomas 10 total tackles a sack uh, that a forced fumble and then two fumble recoveries and one being that scoop and score of 45 yards also broke up two passes. So that was a, a big day for him. Ottawa's A.J. Hemphill had 15 tackles on the day. Uh, so you see both those linebackers having having big days for St. Mary. Garrett Carter also had a good day with 10 tackles, including one and a half tackles for a loss and a pass breakup. Uh, they had... The Spires had four total players uh, with nine or more tackles. So you had Carter and Thomas, then also Jackson Curtis and Hunter Hendricks each had nine total tackles. Hendricks also had a sack and two tackles for a loss, along with a pass breakup. Uh, Jackson Curtis also had a fumble recovery. Uh, Kellen Hodge had a fumble recovery as well for 
St. Mary. For Ottawa, to go along with Hemphill, James Gladden had 11 total tackles, including a tackle for a loss. Jensen Riffle, seven total tackles, including a fumble recovery. Uh, The interception that um, Ottawa had came from Kyle Reynolds. Um, But those were the, the defensive statistics that kind of stood out. So let's go ahead and move on to our next game, uh, which is friends traveling to McPherson. Yeah, this matchup was back and forth. We'll go through the the scoring breakdown. But uh, first quarter was all McPherson scoring right off the bat. Michael Banks gets the opening kickoff and takes it 88 yards for a touchdown to put the Bulldogs up six to nothing. Uh, And then the Bulldogs score again with 7.05 left in the first quarter. Arian Cervoni catches a 58-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Tristan Zabo uh, to put the Bulldogs up 12 to nothing. And then shortly before the end of the first quarter, uh, Jimmy Mai kicks a 25-yard field goal for McPherson, putting the Bulldogs up 15 to nothing uh, as we go into the second quarter. But then second quarter, uh, Friends Response gets their first touchdown of the day with uh, 3.20 left in the second quarter. Caden Rigsby has a seven-yard run uh, along with the Bobby Schmidt PAT. Puts uh, McPherson up 15-7 to going into halftime. Uh, Friends gets another touchdown right after halftime. 13-36 left in the third quarter. Zach Dressler gets a 57-yard run uh, and a, a failed two-point conversion. Makes the score 15-13 to McPherson. Uh, they extend their lead to eight on a Braylon Moody three-yard run. Uh, with a failed two-point conversion, uh, makes it 21 to 13. At that point, um, with 7:42 left in the third quarter, Bobby Schmidt—we've heard his name a lot for friends. Uh, their their kicker there, he kicks a 43-yard field goal to make it 21 to 16, McPherson. And then the Falcons jump uh, jump into the lead for the first time into the game with 6:05 left in the third quarter. Braden Gordon intercepts the ball and takes it 25 yards to the house uh, to put the Falcons up 22 to 21 going into the fourth quarter. And for, for most of the fourth quarter, you didn't see either team able to capitalize on scoring chances, but uh, McPherson scores twice late to put the game out of reach. Uh, Jimmy Mai for the Bulldogs kicks another field goal, 35 yard field goal this time for McPherson up 24 to 22. And then only about 20 seconds later and only 23 seconds left in the game, Tegan Shepard intercepts the ball, uh, takes it 20 yards to the house for a touchdown, putting the Bulldogs up 31-22, to which is, would end up being the final score. Uh, looking at some statistics comparing the two teams, uh, pretty even as far as first downs go. Friends actually leads this 18-15 to for McPherson. Friends more successful in converting on on uh, third downs as well, 54% conversion rate for the Falcons, going 7 of 13 on those chances. Uh, McPherson, 36% conversion rate, going 5 of 14 on third down conversion attempts. Uh, uh, Friends, excuse me, leads in total offensive yards, 382 to 346 for the Bulldogs. Uh, I guess where you see the, the biggest difference and what swings the game in McPherson's favor, at least on offense is uh, passing. They were ahead 173 total passing yards to only 26 for the Friends Falcons. Uh, but we know that Terry Harrison coached offense for the Falcons. It's going to focus on the run, and they, they had the big advantage there. Friends did uh, 356 yards for the Falcons total compared to 173 total yards uh, for for uh, the Bulldogs. And uh, I guess if you're kind of comparing statistics like that, the, the biggest thing was just turnovers there late and capitalizing off of turnovers. I mean, we talked about a couple uh, interception returns for touchdowns late and a couple field goals here and there swings at McPherson's way. Uh, what do you see, at least on the offensive side, for uh, individual statistics that jump out to you? Well, before talking about that, I just kind of want to break down a little bit how good McPherson must feel uh, and how big of an emotional switch it must have been. So going into this game, uh, McPherson had lost three games all season, and those three games were lost by a combined three points. So the, all three of those losses being one-point losses, and they head into that fourth quarter late, trailing by 
one point uh, and had to feel that, uh, oh my gosh, here we go again. They get those two late scores uh, to take the lead and then uh, to seal the lead and how good that had to have felt for the, the Bulldogs who have played really well all year long but have been on the, the wrong side of, of one-point losses. Uh, to get that win's got to feel good. But if we look at those individual statistics, uh, this really matched up two of the, the top rushers in the, the conference. And uh, friends, Zach Dressler and McPherson's Jonathan White both had really productive days. So Dressler was the, the leading rusher in the game for friends. He had 28 attempts for 184 yards. That's a 6.6 average and one touchdown. White, super productive but not a lot of touches. He gets five carries in the entire game. He takes those five carries for 69 yards. So that's a 13.8 yards per carry average. That included a a 49-yard run as well, too. So his long was a 49-yard. And so both of those rushers are highly effective. And you you see uh, the the type of rushing that we've got in the KCAC, and it's really highlighted, highlighted with those two. Uh, McPherson, their quarterback, uh, Tristan Zosbo, 14 of 29, 173 yards, touchdown and interception. Um, outpaces Friends' uh, quarterback, but that that's not surprising again with the style of play. So Jack Mullins for Friends throws six times, com- completes two of those uh, for 26 yards, does throw two interceptions in the game. Top receiver uh, for McPherson was Arian Cervoni uh, with a 58-yard touchdown reception. I uh, just had one uh, total receptions. There were nine Bulldogs that received a pass in the game. Aiden Friesen had the most receptions with three. Those three receptions, 26 yards. Uh, the two receivers, four friends. Waylon Chance, his one reception was for 18 yards. Caden Rigsby, his one for eight. You look at the kicking statistics, Bobby Schmidt, again, perfect on the day. One for one on field goals, one for one on extra points, scores four points. Jimmy Mai uh, for for McPherson, two for two on field goals, including a, a 35 long. Only one of three on extra points, though, does score seven points on the day. Special teams, though, again, being one of those big differences. You look at return yards, and with uh, McPherson's Michael Banks getting that touchdown, he had two total kickoff returns on the day, total 107 yards, 53.5 average. Any defensive statistics stand out to you, Mark? Looking for the Falcons, uh, Nolan Ewing and Jacoby Smith definitely pacing the team. Ewing leading the team in total tackles with 11. Jacoby Smith second total tackles with eight and then he kind of drops off to a bunch of people with three two and one tackles for the Falcons so uh, Ewing and Smith really having the the most productive day as far as total tackles go Uh, they split a tackle for loss on the day looks like um, and then both had a pass breakup so productive days out of both of them Uh, Braden Gordon for the Falcons three total tackles but had a forced fumble and also had a intercept interception for 25 yards uh which was a touchdown so uh making his presence known all over the field there looking at the bulldogs marquise willoughby leads a team in with 15 total tackles uh he's joined in double digit tackle totals by taylon garland and tegan shepherd both of them had 10 total tackles on the day um looking at other statistics garland had a sack for a five-yard loss. Shepard had a tackle for a loss for two yards and also an interception on the day. Um, Corey Chairs for McPherson, six total tackles and a fumble recovery. Kale Mogg for the Bulldogs, five total tackles, um, a tackle for a loss for a loss of nine yards and forced fumble. And then Kobe Brown for McPherson, two total tackles, but did have another interception that would uh, kind of turn the tide for the Bulldogs and and really get it their way. So uh, definitely a a big game there on the defensive side, and you'll kind of see that throughout the the last half of these games. Defense playing an important part and and getting some scores there. So, um, but now we'll move on to 
Avila at Kansas Wesleyan, the Eagles traveling to Salina. Uh, this is a, a matchup of two teams that were in second place in a conference heading into the weekend, tied for second place, I believe. And Avila gets the game started with, a, as I mentioned, defense playing an important part, a, a safety to start the scoring in this matchup. 10-59 left in the first quarter. Uh, Kansas Wesleyan was backed up to basically their own end zone. Uh, and Tony White gets tackled there. The, the Coyote quarterback gets tackled. And Avila gets a safety to put them up 2 to nothing. Uh, and then with 5.26 left in the first quarter, Robert Brooks catches a 15-yard touchdown pass from Avila quarterback Eli Williams, uh, and that would put the Eagles up 9 to nothing going into the second quarter. Uh, but Kansas Wesleyan definitely responds in the second quarter, scoring twice. The first was Tony White throwing a 16-yard touchdown pass to Peyton Hazuka. Uh, that would make it 9-7 to Avila, and then... Uh, only about a minute, um, yeah, about a minute later, um, Kansas Wesleyan scores again. Again, another defensive score. Sean Browder, uh, I believe a linebacker for Kansas Wesleyan, gets an interception and takes it 27 yards to the house for a touchdown. That putting the Coyotes up 14 to nine, and without any other scoring in the second quarter, uh, 14 to nine, Kansas Wesleyan would be the score going into halftime. Avila gets another safety in the third quarter. A uh, minute 27 left in the third quarter, which would cut the Kansas Wesleyan lead to three. Uh, so it's 14-11 Kansas Wesleyan going into the fourth quarter. And then Avila getting the deciding touchdown, the deciding score with 13-37 left in the fourth quarter. Eli Williams throws a 22-yard touchdown pass to Robert Brooks. Kayvon Mortazabi kicks the extra point. That puts Avila up 18 to 14, uh, and Kansas Wesleyan unable to respond, so the Eagles get the win there. Looking at some team statistics, uh, Avila led in first downs, getting 22 first downs uh, to only 14 for the Coyotes, so that that's strong. Avila uh, offense really limiting Kansas Wesleyan and and their productive offense. Uh, limiting them probably the most they've been all season in this matchup. Uh, Avila leads the two teams in total offense. Eagles had 279 yards of total offense compared to 226 for uh, Kansas Wesleyan. And just looking at the number of total plays, you can tell Avila played a kind of a control, control the ball game. They had 77 total plays compared to only 56 for Kansas Wesleyan. And then time possession spells that out too. I mean, the, the, uh, Eagles had the ball for nearly 40 minutes compared to only 20 for Kansas Wesleyan. So it sounds like the game plan was to, to keep the ball and uh, kind of have a rush-heavy game and, and make sure the Coyotes' explosive offense couldn't get the ball back. Um, looking at rushing and passing yards between the two teams, Avila leads that there, 147 total passing yards to only 134 for Kansas Wesleyan. And then uh, rushing yards, Avila leads there as well, 132 uh, rushing yards compared to only 92 for Kansas Wesleyan. And, and rushing's been one of the areas where the Coyotes have really excelled this year. So seeing that the Eagles held them to less than 100 yards uh, can tell you quite a bit about how Apple won this game. Uh, what are some individual offensive statistics you see uh, comparing the two teams? It's kind of surprising when you, we go to talk about offensive statistics. These are two of the most prolific offenses in the KCAC so far this year and we anticipate this big offensive game and it ends up being uh, a big defensive uh, showdown uh, I mean what there's only three offensive touchdowns scored by both teams in the the entire uh, in the entire game we were anticipating uh, a huge offensive matchup um, and it really was a, a defensive matchup when we look at passing yards uh, Eli Williams uh, from Avila had the the most prolific day out of the two passers, uh, 17 to 26, 140 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. Uh, compared to Kansas Wesleyan's Tony White, who went seven of 11 for 90 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, so you you see decent days out of the quarterbacks, but not the yardage we're used to seeing from either one of these passers. Uh, rushing Malik Nesbitt was the top rusher in the game for uh, for Avila and in the game for all players. 
25 attempts, 97 yards, a 3.9 average. Nicholas Alsman was the top rusher uh, for Kansas Wesleyan, 14 attempts, 60 yards, a 4.3 average. Uh, top receivers for each team, Robert Brooks for um, Avila, four receptions, 48 yards, two touchdowns. Peyton Hazuga for Kansas Wesleyan, three receptions, 55 yards, and that one touchdown. A lot of punting in this game. Uh, both punters uh, punt the ball seven times. Both put it in the four, in within the twenty four times. Gary Elder for uh, Avila seven punts, two ninety one yards, forty one point six average. And Miguel Milan those seven points for three hundred eight yards, forty four point zero average. Again, both of those putting uh, the ball within the twenty four times on those seven hunts. Uh, but what uh, statistics stood out to you defensively, Mark? Uh, well, as far as Avila goes, no one, one person really stands out as far as total tackles go. Uh, Mal- Maxwell Weber leads the team in total tackles with eight, followed closely by Joey Mars with seven. Mars also had a tackle for loss. Uh, Ish Smith for uh, Avila, five total tackles on the day, but had two tackles for loss. So uh, you're seeing Avila getting some pressure on Kansas Wesleyan uh, as a team. The Eagles had six tackles for loss, for a loss of 16 yards. Katron uh, Jones had an interception on the day to go along with two tackles. So uh, you're seeing kind of all levels of Avila's defense playing a part in this game. For Kansas Wesleyan, Lucas Rockford, definitely the standout there as far as total tackles go. Led both teams with 15 total tackles. Uh, that included one and a half tackles for loss for for two yard loss. Uh, Andrew Sorensen, a big day for the Kansas Wesleyan defense, seven total tackles. Uh, that included two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, uh, and Sorensen his two and a half tackles for loss were for loss of twenty yards. So definitely changing field position there, and he also had a, a pass breakup. So a uh, big day for him. Sean Browder, we talked about him. Uh, scoring a defensive touchdown, he had four total tackles on the day, half a tackle for loss, and then that 27-yard interception return for a touchdown. Uh, so a good day. As, as you mentioned, normally we're used to seeing the offense for both these teams, and that's where the explosive numbers are. But in this matchup, defense really uh, was the, the name of the game here. So interesting to see that uh, as a, a matchup of two of the top KCAC teams in the conference. But uh, the... The, the biggest matchup, or the one if you're looking at the standings, that was the two top teams in the conference was Southwestern at Bethel. And uh, looking at, at that, just kind of comparing uh, scoring, what do you see there? So again, Southwestern, number six in the country, NAI, uh, travels to North Newton. They're taking on the number 12 Bethel College Threshers Um, game starts out with Bethel taking the lead uh, in the first quarter 720 to play Isaac Harkness an eight-yard touchdown reception from DJ Sears and Bethel takes the seven nothing lead in the first quarter but right as time expires in the first quarter Southwestern ties this one up Blake Hoffman a 22-yard reception from Thomas Yam Uh, And it's 7-7, all tied up at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Heading into the second quarter, Southwestern takes their first lead of the game. Gabriel Medrano, uh, multiple-time KCAC Special Teams Player of the Week, hits a 32-yard field goal to give Southwestern the 10-7 lead. But Bethel does respond uh, with a Braden Francis 57-yard touchdown reception, uh, again from DJ Sears. And and Bethel a little uncharacteristically gets two of their early touchdowns through the air as opposed to on the ground. Typically, we see a lot of of ground scoring from Bethel. But Bethel takes the 14-10 lead in the second quarter. Southwestern cuts into that lead before halftime with 2.21 to go. Gabriel Medrano, again, another field goal, this one. 44 yards and in that 13 to 14 score southwestern trailing bethel is what takes us into halftime 
so we put Southwestern on upset alert at halftime uh, as Bethel has the lead at half. Coming out in the third quarter, Bethel extends the lead this time on the ground. It's Chance Scurry, a one-yard touchdown run, 21-13 Bethel. Again in the third quarter, 5.31 to play. It's Scurry again, another touchdown run. This one three yards, and it's 28-13 Bethel as the Threshers start to pull away from the number six Southwestern Mound Builders. Still in the third quarter, 4.55 to play. Southwestern responds, cuts it to eight points as Jaquillis Coleman, a 12-yard touchdown run, uh, and it's just uh, that one-score game um, as we head into the late third quarter. But late in the third quarter, Bethel's Carson Sasueda, Sasueda, a 31-yard field goal, gives Bethel the 31-20 lead heading into the fourth quarter. And it is just a, a defensive battle in the fourth quarter. Both teams struggling to get any points on the board with a minute 55 to play southwestern's able to cut into the lead again madrano a 30 yard field goal it's 23 31 bethel still leading and bethel able to run out that clock that last minute 55 and bethel gets the 31 to 23 victory Looking at team statistics, first downs was in favor of Southwestern, 20 to 16, uh, but third down efficiency was in favor of Bethel. Bethel goes six of 14, 43%. Southwestern, four of 18, 22%. Total offense in favor of the Threshers, 392 to 298. Uh, And you can really see that highlighted in the net rushing yards. So uh, Bethel, 199 rushing yards compared to just 92 rushing yards from Southwestern. Those were the big kind of differences in the game. What individual performances stood out to you, Mark? Well, looking for the Threshers, uh, DJ Sears, we mentioned his name a lot this year. Dual threat quarterback for Bethel, definitely making an impact in this game as well, as you mentioned. Two passing touchdowns, which is kind of uncharacteristic for Bethel, but Sears for the productive day, 10 of 18 for 193 yards. And uh, those two touchdowns, he also had 11 carries to lead the team in carries uh, for 63 yards, which is second on the team. Uh, So you're seeing him working with with his arms and his legs there. Uh, Tucker Smith, (coughs) excuse me, actually leads the team in total yards for Bethel uh, on only one carry. So he had one carry for 65 yards, but, but leads the team. Uh, but you also see, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other rushers besides Smith and Sears get carries on the day for Bethel. Um, Chance Curry actually only had 19 yards on the day on only eight carries, but two touchdowns. So uh, just kind of handing it off to the hot hand. Whoever's working at that moment uh, seems to be the, the, uh, mode of operation there for Bethel. Uh, looking at receiving receiving leaders for the Threshers, Braden Francis uh, leading the team in yards on only one catch, had that 57-yard touchdown catch uh, for the Threshers. Isaac Harkness and Darion Price actually tied for the team lead in, in catches with three each. Harkness with 50 yards receiving, uh, Price with 47 yards receiving, and then Harkness had the other receiving touchdown of the day. Looking at Southwestern, Thomas Yams kind of taking the, the mantle as a starting quarterback there. They, they kind of bounced back and forth there between him and Brad Cagle kind of throughout the year, but he was the only one with passes on the day uh, on Saturday. He was 24-49 for 272 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Jaquillis Coleman leads the team in carries and yards on the ground. Uh, 12 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown. Zion Kinner, probably the, the standout performer if you're just looking at stats for Southwestern. 12 catches, 114 yards uh, for almost a 10-yard average per catch. Blake Hoffman scoring the lone receiving touchdown of the day for Southwestern. Uh, he had four catches for 42 yards and that, that one touchdown. Josh Edson also having a productive day as a receiver for Southwestern, uh, three catches for 63 yards for a 21-yard average there. 
uh, kicking, playing a, a big part of this game. Gabriel Medrano, you mentioned him earlier, uh, three or four on field goals, long field goal of 44 yards, also had two extra points. So he scores 11 points on the day. Uh, Carson Sasuda for Bethel, one field goal for 31 yards, channels four and four or four on extra points. So he scores uh, seven points there as well. What do you see on uh, defense that really stood out to you for both teams? Yeah, so for Southwestern, it's Josh Carter, uh, who has a big game, nine total tackles, including one for a loss, forced a fumble, uh, that fumble then being recovered by Landon Davis. Uh, Trayvon Crockett also had a good day uh, with five total tackles, including a tackle for a loss uh, for Southwestern. But it's on the Bethel side, uh, coming up big against the number six team in the NAI, Josh Seabolt. 12 total tackles, a tackle for a loss. Cade Miller, 11 total tackles and a tackle for a loss, along with a pass breakup. Uh, Jesse Garcia gets four tackles, but three of those are for a loss, so puts pressure in the backfield uh, and, and really upsetting that Southwestern running game. And then Trey Palmer, uh, with a late interception, uh, makes a big play for uh, the Threshers defensively as well. Uh, but those are the, the defensive performances that stood out in that game. And that brings us to the end of the KCAC scoreboard. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the KCAC Beat. Uh, we thank you all for listening. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, I believe. So if you're listening on one of those platforms, make sure you subscribe. Uh, just a reminder about our, our basketball media days this week. The women's on Tuesday at 10.30 and the men's on Thursday at 10.30. Uh, those will both be on Facebook Live. So make sure to put that on your calendars as we get ready for basketball season. And for all of us at the KCAC office, we hope you have a, a great day and a great week. You've been listening to the KCAC Beat. For more information on the KCAC, go to www.kcacsports.com.